0: Welcome to Design Life, a podcast about design and side projects for motivated
1: creators. I'm Femke. And I'm Charlie. And as of this episode, Design Life has officially been going for one whole year. That is so exciting. As part of this one year celebration, we've launched something very special on our website. You can head on over there now and find a sticker pack that we've created. It's stickers full of... I don't know, creative things about motivated creatives, about side projects, about making things. And we're very proud of it, aren't we, fam? So we'd love it if you wanted to head on over and and check that out and pick one up and show your support for the show, decorate your laptop or whatever it is that you stick stickers on. Who knows?
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think the the cool thing about the sticker pack is that they're not just like, boring stickers of our logo or anything like no charlie you did such a good job actually going and creating like some original artwork and some really cool stickers so i recommend everyone to go and check it out and you know as you guys know this show is sponsor free and the best way for you to show your support for the show is to purchase a sticker pack so please go and check them out and well done charlie you did such a good job on the design Oh, thanks.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I'm really proud of them. And I've already got them stuck on my laptop. So (laughs) join me in that. (laughs) Something else special about today's episode, apart from the sticker pack we've just launched, is it's going to be featuring some of your voices. We got our listeners to send in some audio clips telling us what they're struggling with at the moment. And we're going to, I guess, answer them today and use them as a jumping off point to have a bit of a conversation. It should be really good. And I have to say that I don't know about you, Fem, but listening to people share their their stories with us, I don't know, it just made so much more of a connection with me than on Twitter. I think it's really powerful hearing other people's voices. So hopefully you listening today will will get that as well.
0: Yeah, I agree. It was super nice to hear their voices. So thank you to those of you who did send something through. And the question that we asked you to submit is, what are you struggling with right now? And so we've got, five or so of those that we're going to go through in today's show and they vary completely
1: from like all different kind of topics so it should be a good one. Yeah should we jump right in because don't this episode to get too long and I'm sure we've got a lot of value we can share based on based on these starting off points.
0: Yeah let's start with the one from Millie so here's what Millie asked. Hi Charlie and Femke, before I tell you my biggest struggle, I wanted to tell you both that I really appreciate you doing design life, I've listened to every single episode and every single one has always given me a really valuable takeaway or given me something to think about, so thank you both for being awesome and showing up and sharing all this value with everyone. So my biggest struggle right now is that I'm trying to start my business alongside studying at university and um, I've kind of found it difficult to balance the two together because of all the work I'm getting. So if you have any advice on how to juggle both of them, like any time management tips or any advice that you can give me, I'd really appreciate it. Thank you both.
1: I can definitely relate to what Millie is saying here because I started my little t-shirt company when I was in university. So alongside my studies, I was also trying to figure out how I could get t-shirts printed, how I could handle shipping them overseas, how I could design new t-shirts, and all of that was, you know, no one set a deadline for that for me. It was all just done by myself. So it was really hard to fit it in alongside schoolwork that did have a deadline and that, you know, could be deemed more important. But the t-shirt company was really important to me, and so I had to... Learn to make it my priority, I suppose. And how did you balance that in terms of with your study? like
0: were you consciously making sure that your your grades and that your study work didn't sort
1: of slip slip behind? what What was more of a priority for you, I guess? The grades and my studies were definitely the most important thing for me. I wanted to make sure that I did my schoolwork first. But it was hard because often working on the t-shirt company was much more exciting, and that's what I would rather be working on, you know. So I tended to, if I'm thinking back, I think I set myself a little task to do each day. I made sure that I got the schoolwork task done before I was allowed, I suppose, to go into the t-shirt business things. And sometimes it meant I stayed up really late at night because I was, you know, finally getting on to my t shirt stuff. And then I just wanted to work on that and did so for hours and hours and hours <laughs> into the morning. And I don't recommend doing that, Millie. I think that it's good to set yourself a routine of, like, you know, a proper start and end to your day so that you don't lose out on sleep and, you know, get your- let yourself head towards burnout because that can definitely be a risk at, at university, anyways, let alone when you're trying to run a business alongside it so set a routine I would say and set little tasks for yourself and schedule just schedule everything like you know yeah from seven till nine I'm going to work on this and then from you know nine to twelve I'm going to work on this then it's lunchtime set a schedule for yourself and work both the schoolwork and the side project stuff into it
0: yeah I was going to suggest a similar thing in terms of finding a routine that works best for you and it's probably going to take a little bit of trial and error at the start and seeing how you can effectively juggle the two things together Uh, but you know you've got to find a good balance so if that's spending you know even if it's just one hour a day on your side business then do that and and find a time in the day that works best for you and doesn't interfere too much with your study. I, I would say that I think it's awesome that you are wanting to pursue something on the side during totally. study and that's already going to set you so much further ahead and so keep keep going and keep that up and don't get discouraged but do make sure that you are prioritizing your schoolwork when you need to and that you don't start falling behind there because I think that's really what you should be prioritizing at the moment as you're still studying but by all means like go full steam ahead and do stuff on the side where you can and as long as you can balance it well and you're not getting too overwhelmed and it's not spilling into taking away time from your studies, then go for it.
1: Yeah, just making little progress towards your business goals each day is awesome. You know, even if you can only spend an hour on it, it's still an hour that you, you know, exactly. you're an hour more ahead than you were before. So it's still awesome. Okay, next is another one that I can definitely relate to. Uh, this is what Sharon had to say. Hi, Charlie
2: and Femke. My name is Sharon, and I'm a designer from Dallas, Texas. Although I'm new to the design field, I'm confident in my skills and proud of what I have learned so far.
1: Yet, I'm an introvert, so I struggle conveying the confidence that I have internally, externally to others. I can sell myself, quote-unquote, well in a prepared presentation, but I fail to showcase my confidence in a short greeting with others— and it causes me to shy away from meeting other designers and not be bold enough to take on good opportunities that make connections. Do you have any advice on how I can channel my confidence in unprepared or on-the-spot situations? Thanks. So as an introvert and being a designer and having to sell yourself, I totally get what Sharon means, that this is difficult. And I also can really relate to the fact that she can sell herself really well if she's prepared for it. But it's those chance meetings, you know, especially networking events when you don't quite know who you're going to meet. What if you meet someone really important, and then all of a sudden you're on the spot and you're wanting to sell yourself and seem really confident, but you haven't prepared for it. It's almost like an introvert's worst nightmare, to be honest, to, to be put in that situation. But it's one that we all have to learn to get over. And unfortunately, the only thing I have to suggest here is practice and that it takes time. And it doesn't it sound strange that I'm saying that you should practice yeah. speaking to people, but, but that's how it is. Like, it's honestly, that's the case. Um, and the more chance encounters you have and the more you're forced to sell yourself on the spot, I suppose, and be confident, the better you're going to get at it. Um, I often, sometimes, this is going to sound really strange, and I don't know why I'm bringing this up. <laughs> sometimes, uh, you know how you get in an Uber and you just don't want to talk to anyone? Yeah. Well, I don't anyway. I never want to have a conversation. Sometimes though, they will start one and I'll be like, okay, let's go with this. This is practice having a conversation with a stranger and I'll like converse with the Uber driver, even though I have no interest in having a conversation whatsoever. It's like practice for like talking on the spot and like making a connection. This is hilarious. (laughs) I know I'm sounding so lame right now, but I don't know. I hope there's some other introverts out there who can relate to that, uh, do you know what's really helped though? Um, having random conversations and you know forcing myself, for example, to talk to someone standing next to me in line, waiting in line to get into a concert, uh, something like that also really helps. I've also found making videos to be really helpful, and I'm I don't know if Sharon is, has any interest in starting a YouTube channel, so that's obviously not great advice for everyone. But recording yourself talking about your work and what you do, even if you do just do it for practice. And, you know, then you can see how you talk and and get used to to talking about it, I suppose, it has been so helpful for me. Um, I feel much more confident in those, you know, random situations now than I did before because I am so used to more used to talking, I guess. Same with this podcast. Yeah, this podcast has been hugely beneficial
0: in terms of like us developing our speaking skills, I guess you could say. Uh, but So I'm an extrovert, so I sort of come from the extrovert point of view, but my sort of suggestion to Sharon would be go out of your comfort zone as much as possible and put yourself in those situations like maybe it's talking to the Uber driver or some of the other things that you just suggested, Charlie, but, you know, push yourself and it may seem scary, but... Honestly, it's just a conversation with a stranger. In five minutes, you might not ever see them again. And just enjoy it and relax a little bit. Uh, And ironically, or I guess coincidentally, I just wrote an article about building confidence uh, a few days ago. So if you want to go and read that, you can over on my site and I'll link that uh, also in the show notes. But basically, I talk a lot about some of the stuff that you brought up in the beginning, Charlie, which is about, you know, confidence comes from practice like you can't Mm -hmm. just suddenly will it to come to you the night before you have a huge presentation or whatever you know you need to practice that presentation over and over and over again and as you practice it you'll build that confidence and you know maybe you want to start by practicing it just by yourself in a room with no one else there then eventually maybe you want to invite a friend to come and sit in and listen and then they can provide feedback you know slowly build up practicing but also build up delivering it to people and getting those people that you trust to come in and give you healthy feedback
1: yeah that's great advice basically when you think about it a conversation with you know another designer at a meetup or something at a, at a design event a conference it could go one of two ways either they're an extrovert and they're going to be keen to talk to you you know and they're going to be interested in what you have to say and they can like lead the conversation which will really help you out or they're going to be another introvert And they're probably in the same situation as you. They're probably really wanting to connect with another designer, but are struggling with it. So they're going to be so grateful if you're the one, you know, who's talking to them. So, really, with those two options, neither of them are bad, right? And I know that's hard to keep in mind when you're like standing against the wall and like, you know, scared of all the people around you, but it's the truth. And yeah, try keep that in mind, I guess. Yeah, another
0: thing that I sometimes do is. Like, if I'm really not in the mood, you know, even though I'm an extrovert, sometimes I'm just not in the mood to talk to other people.
1: Fair enough. Yeah. And
0: if I'm in a situation where I kind of have to, uh, a little, I guess you could call it a trick, I don't know, but what I do is I just ask them deep questions that will take them like a minute to answer. So (laughs) I can just ask them a question and then I don't have to say anything for like a minute or two because they're talking. (laughs) I don't know if that's like good advice, but if you are feeling like, oh, I don't know how to keep this conversation going or whatever, especially if the person you're talking to is an extrovert, they will be fine talking for two minutes. Uh, So just when in doubt, just ask questions, you know, like you don't always have to fill the silence or, or make a random comment about something around you. Just ask an interesting question and that'll get the conversation flowing.
1: Yeah, I like that.
0: This next question is from Simon, who asks about client work.
3: Hey, Charlie. Hey, Famke. Congratulations on a year of design life. Can't believe the time has gone so quickly. My biggest struggle at the moment would be finding clients with uh, bigger projects and bigger ideas and more value for the design process.
0: Okay, this is a a big question. I don't know what you think about this, Charlie. Uh, But the first thing that I would have to say is that I wouldn't try and find clients. I would try and attract clients. And I'm pretty sure we've talked about this before on the show, and there'll be an episode where we talked about this, and we'll link it in the show notes. But the way that you position yourself and your business online is going to have a huge influence on the type of clients that approach you and the type of projects that will be pitched to you. And so I think a lot of it comes down to the positioning of your site, what's in your portfolio, your sort of copywriting on your site, what you say, how you present yourself. And all of that will come down to attracting a certain type of client. And if you want to get bigger projects and clients that have, you know, bigger budgets and things, then you need to position yourself as someone – well, first of all, you need to think about what type of freelancer or designer – do those clients want to work with? And then position yourself as that person. So maybe that's someone who is you know, super professional. Maybe that's someone who has a really good track record and a really good portfolio. Maybe that's someone who has really good testimonials on their website and can, you know, has social proof and people that can vouch for their success, et cetera. And so you need to uncover what it is that's going to help position you that way so that you attract those type of clients.
1: That's great advice, Vim. And the type of work in your portfolio as well has a huge, you know, has a lot to do with what kind of work people request from you. So I don't, I haven't looked at Simon's portfolio, sorry, Simon, but um, if if your portfolio is filled with projects for smaller companies, you know, smaller businesses, then that's what people will think you specialize in, which is understandable, right? So yeah, I guess try and highlight the bigger, you know, the biggest of your projects and, Um, make it clear that you're all about design and the value of design and hopefully you'll attract clients who who also feel that way
0: yeah like if you only have projects up on your portfolio that are you know really small gigs like maybe you made a couple of banner ads or whatever you're going to attract more of that type of work so you want to put up projects that are quote unquote big you know the type of projects that you want to attract more of and I'd recommend doing full in-depth case studies and really pulling them apart and showing you know all the complexity behind behind the scenes and all the things that you did throughout the design process to really show like hey this is a big meaty project I can do this kind of stuff if you want something similar hire me
1: yeah that's great our next question is from Jenny and she had two questions for us actually so we'll play them one at a time uh, here's the first one
2: so my biggest struggle now is getting remote clients. They don't want to hire someone who's someone who's not in the same location, and From what I see, the companies who are more likely to hire remotes are startups but the thing is, most of them tend to hire designers with the lowest rate, for example on upwork and bidding sites I'm actually trying to get more clients when even when on on the move and that has been the biggest challenge so far.
1: I would say that with trying to get remote work, the biggest thing you need to do is build up your personal brand or your company brand if you work, you know, under under a company name. You have to build a profile for yourself and build a reputation by putting out content, you know, uh anything you can do to to build up that brand and attract people to you because then they're going to work, want to work with you and not one of those, you know, lower rate designers because they'll see the value in you and they won't care where in the world you are because you're who they want to work with. You know, if you position yourself as an expert in, in what you want to be getting remote work in. So I would say that that could be a huge help for uh, getting remote work and getting requests for remote work. And I would also say that the startups who are wanting to hire you know, designers from those bidding sites are not the clients you want to work with anyway, you know? They're, they're not worth your time and it would be more harm than good to, to try and convince them otherwise. But because I do work in the tech industry and you know, around startups, I know that a lot of them do have a huge respect for design. And there are a lot out there who don't feel that way and who do want to hire you know, the best person for the job. So if you have great case studies on your site, like we were just talking about um, in answer to Simon's question, and if you position yourself as an expert and build up your name, you can get uh, consulting work remotely from these startups who are in need of specific things. So perhaps niching down is going to be really useful here and they'll know that you're the exact person to come to for their exact problem. What do you think, Fem? Yeah, I
0: mean, there's a couple of things that I'd suggest like tactical things in terms of your portfolio website. And the things that I'm about to suggest, I know that Jenny has already done because I checked out her portfolio, but I want to mention them anyway in case there's someone else that's listening in in the same position. Uh, But one of the things that I'd recommend is having your website in English. And that might sound really obvious, and maybe those of you who aren't native English speakers think I'm only saying this because it's my you know, native tongue, but you're going to be able to attract a lot more international clients if you have your website in English. Uh, You know, if you only have your portfolio in French or German or whatever your native tongue is, then that's like basically straight away discounting almost every other country. Uh, So I'd recommend having your website in English or at least a version of it. So a language switcher that you can switch between. Uh, And the other thing I'd suggest is making it knowing that you're you're remote and that you you work with international clients and you work based on wherever your your current location is and I know that Jenny has done this because it says on her website it says remote designer and so that's already a really good start in terms of creating that positioning and that expectation of what you do and and where your location is based the other thing I would suggest is building up your your community or your network internationally and so that could be through Twitter or it could be through joining a community it could be you know going to meetups or events when you're on vacation in other countries for example you know just sort of building that sort of more international community rather than just locally I mean obviously it's good to be involved in your local community etc and local network but I think also having that open mind and reaching further abroad it's going to be beneficial because a lot of freelancers refer other freelancers. That's just a fact. And so if you have lots of friends in your network that are international, you know, one day they could eventually pass off a project to you and that could be a great starting point.
1: Yeah, that's a really good point. And like I was saying before, having a niche is going to help with that too because if one of those friends uh, hears about a specific project, they go like, oh, I know the person for this. Jenny should be the one to work on this. And then they're going to refer you. So niche down and pick pick the thing that you specialize in you know more so than just ux and ui like is it ux and ui for SaaS companies or you know whatever it is Mm -hmm. is it product is it more on the marketing side is it are you about e-commerce are you about you know um, high conversion rates or whatever pick the thing that you specialize in and and that might help as well bring in bring in more work yeah that's that's nice advice Um, Let's move on to Jenny's second part of her question.
2: So I saw that Charlie spoke at Sean Conference and Venkat is speaking uh, in many big and small events in Europe. (laughs) So this is something I'm trying to do as well is to have more experience in public speaking and also sharing what I know, like sharing my UX and UI experiences and knowledge. So I was wondering, do you have a strategy on landing more speaking gigs? And in addition that I saw uh, you two have many successful projects, I land on really big magazines. So I was wondering, can you share any behind the scenes about how um, you got to do such a cool project?
1: So you know what? the Getting more speaking gigs, and maybe this is why Jenny's asking this, but getting more speaking gigs I think will really help with getting more remote work quest, requests in. Yeah. Do you agree, Fem? Yeah, I totally agree, especially
0: if those speaking gigs are you know, international, or actually on second thought, even if they are local, quite a lot of the time people will come in from overseas, so that's still a, a win-win as well.
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, I don't know about you, Finn, but I got my uh, speaking gig at the Sean With conference because Sean had seen uh, my videos and he'd seen my output. You know, I'd, I'd built a name for myself, I guess, and he'd seen that I was consistent and he asked me to talk about that at the conference. So producing content regularly online, I think, is just so valuable in getting speaking opportunities, especially if it's video, because then the person can see that, you know, you are capable of speaking about your topic and delivering it and you know that you're charismatic or whatever they're looking for in a speaker so I guess put out some stuff that that might encourage them and, and show them that you'd be good at this how did you get your speaking gigs yeah so my speaking gigs have mostly come through
0: my day job Yep. so the first one was for a conference that originally they wanted us to be a sponsor and instead we kind of went back and we're like well hey how about I speak instead Uh, And so that's kind of how that one worked out. So, yeah, it didn't really come through my side project work. But at the moment, I am trying to get speaking gigs through my side project work. And I've done that by, or I guess I'm trying to do that because it hasn't happened yet. Uh, But on my about page on my website, I have a little section about speaking. And on there, I have like past events that I've done, upcoming events and like a little blurb about you know, why, what I speak about and why I enjoy speaking, et cetera, and how people can get in touch with me if they want me to speak. And if speaking is something that you want to do, but maybe you don't have any track record yet, I'd encourage still putting something up. You know, obviously you yeah. don't have any past events to list or anything, but I don't think that really matters. You know, you could just put up a little blurb about a topic that you're really passionate about and that if anyone's interested in contacting you about speaking about it, then they can get in touch with
1: you, et cetera. And I would say to start small as well, maybe reach out to any local design meetups or, you know, anything like that, that could benefit from a talk. And I would say also to have a topic in mind, you know, start preparing a talk, even though you don't have a speaking gig yet, that doesn't matter, start preparing something and thinking about what your story is and what you've got to share, what story you've got to tell then you can reach out to people and pitch that story, I suppose. You know, if there's a conference coming up in anywhere in your country or, you know, anywhere else that you might like to go and speak, don't be afraid to reach out to them because uh, I don't organize events myself, but I work closely with the person who does organize a monthly well, bi-monthly maybe speaker series at my day job. And I know that she is constantly reaching out to speakers and like, you know, emailing so many people to ask them to come and speak and try and find the right people. And so if someone reaches out to her, that's amazing because that's already like, you know, that's like part of her job done. So don't yeah. be afraid to reach out to people is what I'm saying with this long winded explanation.
0: No, no, that that's
1: good because
0: actually majority of conferences have the opportunity for you to submit a talk. You know, they they'll be like proposals open until this date or whatever. And so I'd recommend just keeping your eye out on what conferences are coming up in a year's time or so. There's usually quite a long lead time. Uh, and submitting a talk just submit them everywhere like if you submit them to 10 places probably only one will get back to you so that's that's actually what I did I started submitting my talk to places including like meetups like from small things to conferences and that's how I landed a couple of them and since doing that I you know now I've had a couple people reach out to me because they've seen awesome. what I've done and whatever so you know you kind of got to work hard in the beginning to build that up and then eventually you know if your talk is good which I'm sure it would be people will eventually start reaching out to you
1: and because Jenny also asked about your magazine gig as well the article you wrote yeah uh, that was because they'd seen it on online right they'd seen all your content and you had that track record
0: Yeah, it was a mixture of that, and also I had previously written a tutorial for that magazine earlier in the year through my day job. So that was kind of another thing that started from my day job, and then uh, the editor sort of started following me, and he obviously saw my work over a period of six months or so, and then eventually approached me personally, like separate from my day job, uh, to write that article, so... That was really cool. I'm still really proud of that article, actually.
1: Yeah, you should be. It's very cool. And see, if you want to get things like that, you've got to start doing it off your own back first, I would say. So start writing, start speaking about things, you know, and, and build up that reputation. And then that's how the big projects will come in.
0: Yeah, don't be afraid to reach out to them. So many, like blogging and magazine websites actually have places where you can submit stories and things like that and so you know you don't have to sit there waiting for people to approach you you can go out and start submitting your story or your your presentation or whatever it is to others and you know you never know what might come back and come out of that
1: are we hypocrites here because we just also suggested that you wait for clients to come to you uh... <laughs> no I think this is a different <laughs> I think
0: this is a different ball game you know I think I think it is attracting true. clients is very different from doing guest writing or guest speaking I think it's a little bit different in my opinion anyway
1: and eventually you know the more you do the more it will attract more anyway and you know soon you won't have to reach yeah, out to people because exactly you'll have that you know you'll have the reputation okay I think we have time for one more question in this episode. And this comes from Brent, who is someone who we talk about a lot on this show, don't we? So we're very excited to feature his voice now. So here's Brent's question.
3: Hey, Charlie and Fem, it's Brent Galloway. Right now, my biggest struggle is finding that balance between tackling the mountain of work that I love doing and that's keeping my business thriving and creating content for the fun of it. I'll be honest with you. I could go in complete radio silence mode and most likely still be fine. But that's just not fun. I miss making blog posts and videos. I have no intentions on really becoming a teacher or making a course or anything like that, but I do want to be putting something out there other than just my design work. I want to kind of spread inspiration, motivation, and sort of passively teach some of the stuff that I do just for fun. So I'd love to know your thoughts on finding that balance between the work that matters and making content for the fun of it. Thanks so much for taking the time to share your thoughts on this. You guys are awesome and keep up the hard work.
0: Thank you, Brent. That's very sweet. And thanks for your question. My thoughts on this are that playtime is just as important as work time. Agreed. And so when I hear your question, it sounds like there are things that you do that are really important to your business. So that could be client work or. I don't know, making fixes to your website or making videos, etc. And then there's things that you want to do for fun. So I kind of group that into, into play. And I think we often underestimate the power that play can have on us and how that can then project into our work. And so I wouldn't see it as a waste of time. I would see it as a way to... Develop your skills and challenge yourself and do something different and interesting in a sort of safe environment, in a safe space where, you know, it's not like a client project where you suddenly want to try something new and then, you know, that's a bit of a risk there that something could go wrong. But these playful projects are a great way to explore new things and new ideas and see what works and what doesn't work. And I think they're just as important. And so I wouldn't underestimate them or consider them a waste of time. And if it's something that is really important to you, then maybe you want to consider setting time aside each week for playtime. Yeah. So for example, that could be like every Friday afternoon is playtime and it could be something related to what you do. It could be something completely different. Like maybe you want to play with Play-Doh or like colouring coloring in books or something like I think that's still super valuable because it challenges our mind and gets our mind thinking and creative and we can do something different and maybe out of our comfort zone and I think there's still so many benefits of doing that and so I think it's okay to make time for play if you can.
1: And it can be useful play you know because I'm not the type of person who's ever going to just sit down and colour in a colouring book right? because I like everything to have purpose even my play but like say for example, cause I know Brent designs t-shirts uh, for a lot of really awesome bands. But you know, when you get a client project and deadlines are often tight, right? There's not enough time to try out this new text styling idea you had. Um, and cause if it doesn't work, then you know you're gonna have to come up with something else on the spot and you don't want to waste the time you have on client projects to do that sort of experimentation. So perhaps you can think of it Think of that stuff as really important, you know, for growing and for increasing your skills and trying new things, and you could make a video out of it uh, or a blog post of this new thing you are trying. You know, it could be as simple as just turning on the camera, being like, "Hey, I've got this idea today. Let's see how it turns out," and just you know, log your process of it, and that could could make for a really interesting video, and you've also created something useful and you know, tried out a new skill as well. So. It serves two purposes I suppose. Yeah, it's like a way of learning in a way, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. Definitely. I think you have to shift your mind to thinking of it in that way, not as these like not as making videos and blog posts as extra things. They're not something extra. They're important and they're something that you want to do and so you make time for it and you make it useful by also, you know, combining some things you'd been already been wanting to learn perhaps for your client work as well. And I hope that Brent does uh, make more time for these because his video is really good. So that's all the
0: questions that we have time for in this episode. And thank you so much to all of you who sent in a voice memo. We really appreciate it. And if you're listening and you also have something that you're struggling with, you can contact us at any time via Twitter, which is at designlifefm, or you can send us an email, hello at designlife.fm, and we'll be more than happy to help you out.
1: And if you wanted to send a voice memo as well for some reason. I don't know. I think this was fun. Yeah, and it was nice. If if you if we include it in future ones, that'd be cool too. <laughs> so
0: remember we also have our brand new sticker pack which is on our website designlife.fm. Go and check it out. Share it with a friend if you like it. We would really appreciate your support for the show.
1: And you can listen to all of our past episodes on there as well. There's 52 episodes in total now with this being our 1 year anniversary. Can't which is very believe exciting. it. <laughs> there's loads of value on there i think and yeah loads of great topics so check them out thank you for for your support over the past year we really appreciate it thank you to anyone who's left a review for us on itunes because that's really helped us get the show out there and build this awesome group of listeners you know it's this show would not be the same without all your wonderful questions and the conversations that we have on twitter around the topic each week so we really appreciate it thank you for listening to the show And
0: happy birthday. See you next week, Charlie. (laughs) See ya.